This week we're back on the dark side. We are discussing occult things again, and this is Gimme the Creeps, so you're going to get what you came for. Oh, hello. Mm-hmm. That was a little uh, threatening. That was a little bit dark. It was perfect. You get what you came for. I'm scared already. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this week's episode is a little bit on the, or well, most of it is on the occult, but it is also about music. So mm-hmm. it's not just rock and roll. It, we're touching a little bit on it. Mm-hmm. So that we can do maybe future episodes on it. Alrighty, so are you ready for the darkness? Do that song by the darkness. But I believe in a thing called love, but there's no way my voice can go that high. Aw. <laughs> practice, or there's always time to make a bargain, a Faustian bargain. Ooh, that was a good one. <clears throat> my sources for today's piece, I will call, because you know, music. Peace, get it. Um, HeroMagazine.com, CrackMagazine.net, and TurnBackToGod.com because I needed to know where Lucifer got his name. Uh, I also used YouTube videos by Polyphonic and Vox. So here's a super simplified timeline of some main events in music history where the devil may have played a part. To begin, I'll give some biblical context. The devil was named Lucifer in the beginning. Lucifer translates from Latin to mean morning star. Other translations are pretty generic, like uh, bringer of light, that kind of thing. But morning star is the main translation. Before his fall from grace, Lucifer was the head of ministry of music in heaven. He had been created with musical instruments within him to be used as a tool for the glorification of God. However, when he fell, he kept his gifts. He built a rebellion against God, using these gifts to spread his own message. I found it interesting that so many musicians have been found to have ties to Satan after finding out that he was basically the angel of music before he became the devil that we know him to be today. The one to seduce God's followers to join his side. Wow. So, did you know he was the angel of music? I did not know that. Mm -mm. Isn't that, doesn't that make it even more eerie? Yes, that makes sense now. The Faustian Bargain. In exchange of moral integrity in order to achieve power and success for a limited term. The very first deal with the devil is portrayed by the German legend where the protagonist named Faust makes a pact with the devil in exchange for unlimited knowledge and worldly pleasures. He gives his soul for these worldly pleasures. This ordeal became popularized by Christopher Marlowe with his play The Tragical History of the life and death of Dr. Faustus around 1587, and it was first performed in 1604. It's important to keep in mind the supposed terms and conditions of these dealings. There is a time limit, and there is an exchange of one's eternal soul following the amount of time with said gifts. It's brought up time and time again, should the pursuer of these gifts not use them to the maximum of his or her ability, their time is up, and that's where the 27th club comes into account. Either the musician changed their mind or they became an icon in music history so quickly that the expiration date had already been decided upon. But that's just my opinion. Giuseppe Tartini was a man who, in 1713, had a dream where the devil appeared to him. Tartini handed him a violin and the devil began to play. He played the most beautiful violin piece. Tartini made a pact with the devil right then and there, trading his soul for the magical skill. And when he awoke, he quickly wrote down what he remembered. 
Violin Sonata in G, otherwise known as the Devil's Trill Sonata. There's a myth that states he had six fingers on his left hand in order to play so well, which is interesting because did you know that six fingers is actually a dominant trait in the human gene pool? What? Yeah, it's it's a dominant uh, trait. I did not know that. So if it worked as if uh, as it's supposed to, we would all have, or the majority of us would have six uh, digits. Yet somehow the majority of us only have five digits on our appendages. So that's interesting. That is interesting. And I know what you're thinking: two in the pink and two in the stink. Ao. Two. Make it three. What? All of the possibilities. <clears throat> and yes, I wrote that down. <clears throat> <laughs> of course. Surprised <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say all five in the stink. Oh my God. Such a fist up there. No, that's bold. <clears throat> <clears throat> okay. And apparently, this piece was so difficult to master. So that's why they say he had six fingers on his left hand. Um, But I'm sure the circumstances surrounding the piece itself caused people to avoid wanting to even attempt to play it. It's about 16 minutes long. I listened to it a few times while I worked on this. Was it spoopy? There were some, some weird parts, which is kind of weird because when you think of Satan, you think of him enticing, like being, you know... I know you're curious. Come see what I have to offer you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like an innocent, like draw you in. And then once you get in there, that's just how it sounds to me. So Mm -hmm. should give it a listen. It's not too, there's some, there's some creepy parts that are like, okay, I could see how this could be weird. But anyways, I have a uh, journal entry. He wrote one night in the year 1713, I dreamed I had made a pact with the devil for my soul. Everything went as I wished. My new servant anticipated my every desire. Among other things, I gave him my violin to see if he could play. How great was my astonishment on hearing a sonata so wonderful and so beautiful, played with such great art and intelligence, as I had never even conceived in my boldest flights of fantasy. I felt enraptured, transported, enchanted. My breath failed me, and I awoke. I immediately grasped my violin in order to retain, in part at least, the impression of my dream. In vain, the music was as which I at this time composed it is indeed the best that I ever wrote, and I still call it the devil's trill. But the difference between it and that which so moved me is so great that I would have destroyed my instrument and have said farewell to music forever if I had been possible for me to live without the enjoyment it affords me. Wow. About a century later, Niccolo Paganini, defined as a virtuoso from the age of five, was so talented he began composing by the age of seven. In addition to his otherworldly skill, his pale, frail, and long-faced appearance atop his thin body and fingers contorting as he performed caused those around him to believe he had dealings with the devil to achieve his gifts. What helped to seal these rumors came with the death of Paganini. On his deathbed at the age of 54, he sent away a priest who was to perform his final rites. His body was denied a Catholic burial in Genoa and took four years and an appeal to the Pope before his body was allowed to be transported to Genoa, but it was still not buried. His remains were finally put to rest in 1876 in a cemetery in Parma. One of his well-known pieces is titled Le Streghe, or the witch's dance. Members of his audience would make the sign of the cross as they watched in awe and in fear. One member swears he saw the devil himself assisting Paganini as he played. Ooh. He had piercing eyes and long, dark hair, and he was a 
a pale, thin, tall man. So he was very spooky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now we move on to later in music history. Tommy Johnson came before Robert Johnson, but he didn't reach the same heights as Robert Johnson did. But his tale goes, just before midnight at a crossroads, a big man took his guitar while he played and tuned it. He is known for his eerie yodeling, and his brother spread the Faustian bargain about him. He didn't quite leave his mark the way Robert Johnson did, however. And the crossroads is mentioned in a few of these legends. It seems to be a symbol uh, as part of these Faustian packs. Maybe the devil only appears to those he sees most desperate and in the crossroads of their lives. That's just what I would think, because I I see that phrase a lot. They were at a crossroads, the Mm -hmm. devil approached them, they made a pact. So moving on to Robert Johnson, born in 1911 and died in 1938. In the late 1920s, he began playing and he was apparently very unskilled. Famous blues man, Sun House, emphasized how badly he played in a few of his writings. And uh, in one day in, 19 thir- in the 1930s, he left his home and came back with incredible guitar playing talents. Legend has it that he came to the intersection where highways 61 and 49 form a crossroads in Mississippi and made a pact with the devil. Some of his music solidifies these ideas of his bargain, one song on his track being titled Me and the Devil Blues. Johnson was just 27 when his time ran out. It's rumored that a lover's jealous husband poisoned him. He died in a display of convulsions and hollers of seeing huge hellhounds coming for him. Ooh. To this day, he's recognized as the most popular blues player. Every time I hear that story, I think of uh, Supernatural, because that was in it as well. Seeing hounds? The whole story was in it, was in oh. an episode, and then they had hellhounds like coming, because like, other characters made like deals or whatever. And Yeah. Ooh. It was really spooky. I didn't think of this before, but hellhounds are in Call of Duty and you hear a demonic voice whenever they come at like round six of zombies on Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can hear like a demonic voice say, fetch me their souls. Ooh. So like, that's interesting. I didn't think about that till now. I honestly feel like Sassy was a hellhound in one of her past lives. Aw, I could see that. I always say that about her. I'm sure she hates it. <laughs> no, she loves it. <laughs> Petey Whitstraw, born in 19... 19- oh, wait. Did you hear wh- uh, what age Robert Johnson... 27, yes. Interesting, yeah. right? It's the start of it all. Petey Whitstraw, born in 1902, died in 1941. St. Louis blues musician Petey Whitstraw, known both as the devil's son-in-law and the high sheriff of hell. Whitstraw claimed that he had sold his soul to the devil at a crossroads in exchange for musical success, and success he had, cutting upwards of 170 tracks for the ARC, Bluebird and Decca labels before his death in 1941 and his peak in the 30s, he was the equivalent of a superstar. He died on the same day, 39 years after he and his friends tried unsuccessfully to race their car through a crossroads with a freight train bearing down on them, finally giving, as the legend dictates, the devil his due. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ferdinand Jelly Roll Morton, born 1890, died 1941. New Orleans ragtime jazz began with the 1915 piece Jelly Roll Blues by this musician. He is a self-proclaimed inventor of jazz whose godmother practiced voodoo. 
Eulali Echo sacrificed his soul to the devil as a part of a black magic ritual in exchange for fame. He took over the jazz scene, and in 1939, he was signed by Victor Record Company. Two years later, his godmother passed. His girlfriend, Anita Gonzalez, explained, Jelly always knew she'd sold him to Satan, and that when she died, he'd die too. She would take him down with her. Two months later, after Eulali's death, he died at 46 years old. It's rumored he was asking for holy oil to cheat the bargain his grandmother made on his deathbed. Ooh. Ooh, so real quick with mentioning jazz and blues, um, this time period and the areas that are mentioned are filled with um, musicians that rise out of their oppression or, you know, they're rebels. They're outside of the the basic um, majority of white Christian mm-hmm. people. And they want to express themselves through rebel music, is as they would call it, which later gives way to uh, rock and roll. But, you know, jazz and blues was the start. Mm-hmm. Um, anger, frustration, and sinful indulgence. So when you think of blues and jazz and how black individuals who were talented were summed up by the white audiences as having sold their soul for their skills, it discredits the artists. But anyways, individuals in the conservative group in the 1900s were afraid of anything out of the norm. It felt unsafe. Thus, the inevitable feel. Feel? <laughs> what? Thus, the inevitable fear of the new genre that would arise, <laughs> rock and roll. Why are you laughing at Cause, me? What? Because you were like, feel. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. How do I get these words mixed up? My focus today was on the early musical workings and the superstitions surrounding them. But like I said, it's going to give way to rock and roll. So that's exciting to look forward to. Mm-hmm. So now I bring you the story of the Mars Volta. So for those of you that don't know, they were a progressive rock band out of El Paso, Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, The band consists of Omar Rodriguez Lopez, Cedric Bixler Zavala, Juan Aldarete, Marcel Rodriguez Lopez. I did want to say that I'm not going to go into all the little details about this band, like all the facts about them, because Mm -hmm. we don't have the time. So... If we have any gatekeepers listening, relax (laughs) and cut that shit out. Uh, The way this story starts out is on a trip to Jerusalem, Omar buys an archaic Ouija-type talking board at a little shop as a gift for Cedric. Mm -hmm. So in the fall of 2006, they're on tour with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And as part of their after-show a wind down ritual they would bust out the board and play with it on the bus so dubbed the soothsayer the board like the board was called the soothsayer Ooh. it revealed stories gave names and made demands we would never dim the lights it wasn't some corny disney version like people might picture the lights were on the messages started coming through and i kept looking at omar like are you pushing this thing or am I pushing this thing? I just kept writing down everything that it said because it was 10 times more creative than anything that I could have come up with, admitted Cedric to Marquee Magazine. The fact that I was writing everything down is what challenged the spirits that we contacted and alerted them that we had the power of unmasking their anonymity. Their communication partially inspired the lyrics and even the sounds that the band was developing for their new album titled the Bedlam and Goliath. When we first played the board, we found poetry attached to it. We hired two people to translate it because it was in Hebrew 
and in Latin. And sometimes it was in what I think was Aramaic, Cedric said. One of those translators gave us back our money and didn't want to talk to us or have anything to do with us again. The other, who was a little more brave, translated the verses for us, and it turns out that they translated like traditional sing-song nursery rhymes. And the more I read stuff and the further I am away from the project now, the more I realize that it is a story steeped in the modern-day phenomena of honor killings. Mm. Uh, The spirit, known as Goliath, is a schizophrenic version of three people who were trying to contact us. A male spirit, a female spirit, and her mother. The story is of lust, seduction, and infidelity, pain, and murder. It is a classic scenario of a male character speaking over a female and the female looking for a companion who is brave enough to tell the story, revealed Cedric. Mm. The more that Cedric and Omar interacted with the soothsayer and Goliath, the more they became convinced that the male spirit was casting a curse on them as they began to understand the true nature of the story the trio was unveiling. When the band went to the studio to record, chaos ensued. Omar said the messages coming through the soothsayer got scary and the bad luck began. The studio flooded. Severe equipment issues started happening. Uh, Their drummer quit mid-tour and left the band with financial troubles. Cedric wound up with a seemingly random foot injury that later required major surgery, forcing him to relearn how to walk after. Audio tracks sporadically disappeared from the studio's hard drives right before their eyes. The album's original engineer had a nervous breakdown, leaving behind all of their work with no notes as to where anything was. That engineer who quit said to Omar, I'm not going to help you make this record. You're trying to do something very bad with this and we're you're trying to make me crazy and you're trying to make people crazy. Can you imagine? Mm. Oh my gosh, that's eerie. Um, Altogether, it seemed too much to be a coincidence. Goliath was angry and bent on destroying this record. Despite the anger, the Mars Volta drove on and fought the uphill battle against the chilling otherworldly forces with which they were wrestling. Midway through the recording session, Omar broke the Susayer in half and in a move that probably saved the recording project, buried it in a location only he knows. He buried it because he knows that I'm obsessive compulsive and despite everything that was happening, I would have probably wanted to play it again, admitted Cedric. Wow. PR gave my favorite description of that album. They said, the bedlam in Goliath is thrilling and a little bit terrifying at the same time. It's like some kind of sinister amusement park ride. You get in and discover that Satan is at the controls and he's smiling and he has no intention of slowing down until everyone's screaming at the top of their lungs. Yeah. I listened to it while I was doing this and it was creeping me out. (laughs) Yeah. With the context. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I've heard it before. I heard it multiple times before I knew this story. Mm-hmm. And so it is a little bit weird, but then now that I know the backstory, it's even more scary. So I'm like, okay, my house is haunted now. <laughs> Ooh. Well, there are, we could have gone in so many di- different directions with this. Um, my part was not necessarily a cult practice in music. It was just superstition involving musicians. Mm-hmm. Um becoming so talented and making deals. Um, but but I mean, there are superstitious, like, uh, I, I saw, like, many lists saying different musicians have actually practiced 
magic and stuff like that but there wasn't that much there wasn't that much information like on the details of it because Mm -hmm. they either they were either i guess you could say quote-unquote real wiccans or sorcerers and didn't reveal what they did or they just dabbled in it and they didn't really have anything to say about it right Um, something interesting i learned was that elvis went through a phase of reading about the occult yes i do say that in this thing too (laughs) Oh, shit. Well, I'll cut that out. They're literally, like, the next thing that I do is I, like, mention a lot of other Mm. people. That's why it's, like, just a sentence of what. Yeah. mm -hmm. I'm going to have to title this in a way that. Yes, I do. I do mention him. I was like, wait a minute. No, I don't. Okay, good, good, good. I'm glad because that shook me when I read that. I was like, huh. Weird. Yeah, I was like, excuse me? But it also says that he was, in mine it doesn't, but says that he I read that he was doing drugs while he was reading that stuff, so. Oh, well, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> I don't know what kind of drugs, though. He could have just been smoking weed. And and right. I mean, people who were against his music anyway said that he was evil and a sexual deviant or whatever, so that kind of feeds into that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So there are the musicians who practice dark magic behind the scenes. There are musicians that speak words, but that they don't practice anything at all. Mm -hmm. And then there's just music that is, I guess, unexplainably dark. So I'm no music expert, like music theory, but I'll mention some things that I learned. The Devil's Interval. The augmented fourth chord that signifies the blues scale sound. When combined with the root note, it is known as tonus diabolicus, or the devil's interval. Originally, when late Roman Empire monks were notating ancient Greek music, they put spiritual significance on the effect of different intervals. It was thought that using this interval invoked sexual feelings and would even conjure up Satan himself. In medieval times, the use of this interval was prohibited. Some places say that it was prohibited, and some places say that it never was. Um, so it's hard to determine if it was or not. Mm-hmm. But it definitely um, carries dark tones. The tritone is called the tritone because it's made of three whole steps. It is an unbalanced tone. It sets up expectations of resolution with its dissonance. It makes you feel uneasy because it feels unfinished on its own, and you can't always predict where the notes will go because they could go up or down. Mm -hmm. Spiritual peoples believed that it was speaking to darkness. (laughs) It brings mystery and eeriness, and it is often used in horror cinema. That one is harder to define. I would have to listen to it, or maybe I'll find a sample and play it on here, but if you look up, the tritone or the devil's interval, you'll find a bunch of examples of it. The more well-known one, in my opinion, is a set of notes in cinema and orchestral pieces called the Deus Irae. And it was actually originally for funerals created by monks. Deus Irae translates to day of wrath, the day God judged where we go when we die. Day of reckoning. Church-influenced other forms of art, such as music and uh, and art, artwork itself, Mozart's Requiem, and in 1830, French composer Louis Hector Berlioz, his symphony called A Dream of a Witch's Sabbath, which is the intro to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it's like, it's weird, mm-hmm. right? It's pretty much four notes is what I've learned. The other one, the interval is 
mostly two notes, but the interval between them, it makes it a tritone. I don't know anything about music. Don't come to me, but (laughs) yeah, it was explaining it to me and I was like, okay, I kind of sat in the back during choir. I just sang along. I didn't really look at what the notes were doing, but (laughs) it's true. And, uh, but this one is four notes whenever they lay out the pieces, you can see where the phone four notes are, Mm -hmm. the phone notes in the, uh, Witch's Sabbath piece, it, it was actually written because he feared or had a nightmare that a lover he murdered came back as a witch to torture him. So that's where that sound is. That's what it's playing. What the fuck? The notes are a half step apart and our ears are trained to not like the sound of the notes that are right next to each other, such as like, I think, F and E or F and G. The notes are also in descending order, which brings a sense of dread. The style is used in devastating moments in The Lion King, Star Wars, and mostly horror films. If we get into rock and roll, we can discuss the censoring of uh, of rock and backmasking. Mm-hmm. You know, backmasking. Yeah, I want to talk about that because uh, some of it was done on purpose to troll boomers, and I didn't know that so, <laughs> during the satanic, uh, the satanic panic. They really were. They were trolling. I thought that was genius. Like trolling existed before trolling was a thing. Yeah. So yeah, we could talk about the rebellion, anarchy, anti-authority, uh, rock is the devil's music, war on free speech, parental advisory sticker. That's why I posted that thing on Instagram because I was ah uh, yes, I saw that because that's when it came out. It was in the 1980s there were all of these forums taking to the government uh, like our kids can't be listening to this. They're like, well, don't let them listen to it. I don't know what to say, but yeah. (laughs) All right. I'll give it back to you now. So we're rounding it out. eh? Yes, ma'am. Okay, here we go. So in conclusion, (laughs) yes. So it's been proven attractive for musicians to claim with varying degrees of seriousness that they made a deal with the devil. John Lennon told a press conference that the reason the Beatles were so successful was that he had sold his soul. And Katy Perry and Easy e are among those who've made the claim in recent times. Bon Jovi even told Teen Pop magazine smash hits that I'd kill my mother for rock and roll. I would sell my soul. <laughs> Uh, in his autobiography, The Dog Father, Snoop Dogg claimed that the devil agreed to make the rapper rich and famous in exchange for his soul, a theme he explored in the song Murder Was the Case. Uh, but using the mystique of the dark side for your career advantage is nothing new. Here is where we bring up Petey Wheatstraw again. Mm-hmm. And it just says that he rebranded himself as uh, the high sheriff from hell and the devil's son-in-law as an example. So as rock and roll emerged from the blues, it was easy to see how young, sexy, gyrating singers such as Elvis Presley fueled the idea that there was a new musical Lucifer in town, especially when rocker Little Richard declared his career was directed and commanded by the power of darkness. Mm -hmm. John Lennon and his fettle Fettle? John Lennon and his fellow Beatles were still at primary school when notorious occult figure 
Aleister Crowley died in Hastings in 1947, but the so-called wickedest man on the planet cast a shadow long after his death. Crowley appeared as one of the faces on Peter Blake's iconic cover for the Beatles' 1967 album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It was in that same year that the Rolling Stones released an album called Their Satanic Majesty's Request. The first time the Prince of Darkness had been summoned in the title for a major rock release. It was mostly Mick Jagger who had dabbled in reading about the occult in books and Keith Richards who created a defining moment in music's relationship with the devil with the 1969 Sympathy for the Devil. Mm-hmm. In the song, the Stones imagined Satan's appearance at crucial moments in history. Whether they wanted to or not, Jagger and his band had created a massively influential song. Jagger said, I thought it was a really odd thing because it was only one song after all. It wasn't like it was a whole album with lots of occult signs on the back. People seemed (laughs) to embrace the image so readily, and it carried all the way over into heavy metal bands. Crowley also had a major influence on David Bowie, who paid tribute to Crowley in his 1971 song Quicksand. While in 1976, he admitted to Rolling Stones magazine, rock has always been the devil's music. I believe rock and roll is dangerous. I feel like we're only heralding something even darker than ourselves. Wow. Led Zeppelin's Jimmy Page, as some of you may already know, reportedly attended seances, collected occult artifacts, and even purchased Bullskin House, Crowley's former home on the shores of Loch Ness in Scotland. Page's interest in the occult led to accusations that Led Zeppelin were a satanic band. Page once said that mixing satanic influences was like an alchemical process. But in 2007, then 63 years old, he told Guitar World that he didn't like to speak about the occult anymore because the more you discuss it, the more eccentric you appear to be. The links between music and the devil got even more extreme as the 70s wore on and the heavy metal bands began to gain a following. A mass following, son of a bitch. <laughs> when, he put, when he put an inverted cross on the inside gatefold of Black Sabbath's debut album and made references to black magic in the lyrics, Ozzy Osbourne may have simply been looking to outdo other musicians. Osbourne, who was not alone among musicians of that genre in battling drugs and alcohol addictions, talked publicly about his devil-worshipping songs and even referred to himself as the Prince of Darkness. Metal, as it became known, gained its own image, behavioral codes, and theology. The devil became central to the music's lore. Bands like Judas Priest, Metallica, and Megadeth were promoting themselves with the devil in mind. This did cause a backlash ranging from Christian fundamentalists burning satanic albums to the rise of Christian rock bands singing what were deemed more wholesome lyrics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, it shouldn't make me laugh, but all I could think about was like Creed. <laughs> Oh my gosh. In the 90s, most metal bands went even further with their shock value. Black metal, an extreme subgenre of heavy metal, is commonly associated with the devil thanks to its use of Satanist symbols such as pentagrams and, and the inverted cross. In California, the band Slayer described themselves as warriors from the gates of hell. In Norway, a small network of bands plunged into Satanism and burned several churches around Oslo. Hello, Mm. mayhem. 
Mayhem. (laughs) I really want to do the story on that, but we should. Yeah, it's very. I think we should. I. I know other podcasts have, but I mean, at this point. It's a wild ride. Yeah. I mean, who cares? It's it's fun and it's interesting for us to look into. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll find things that other podcasts haven't mentioned. This is true. And that gives me a reason to watch that movie again. Ooh. Um, I wonder if it's still on Netflix. Or maybe it was Hulu. I don't remember. But anyways. I don't remember. You know what is really funny? When I first saw that movie, I thought it was a comedy. Like, I legit thought it was, like, one of those spoofs, you know, that they do. Oh, yes. I thought it was Mm -hmm. a spoof documentary or some shit. And then I realized it was real. I saw Macaulay Culkin's brother, and I was like, what is this? But then it ended up being about a real thing. And I was like, oh, I I didn't know anything about it. So Yeah, I didn't. I did and I didn't. Like, I didn't know the whole thing so I didn't like connect the two and then I realized what was happening and I was like it was very outlandish behavior so it didn't make and then you realize oh this is really how they were yes and I think it's because their attitudes were or the way he was acting made me feel like it was a comedy you know what I mean like yes I know exactly I'm the scene I'm picturing is the bird the dead bird on the road I can't I don't know there's a bird that he kept. It was dead on the road, and then he kept it well, forever. The part where he goes, he finds that dude dead, and then he like leaves and goes to buy a camera, and then comes back. I was like, yeah. I was laughing, was and good. Jeremy looks at me like, "Why are you laughing?" And I was like, "Yeah, what? <laughs> like this isn't supposed to be funny." He's like, "No, this really happened." It really did happen. Yeah, I mean, it's still just because it's so bizarre. You do want to laugh. Yes. You're like, what? and his face the whole time is like angry teenager. So I think that's another thing. Oh, okay. He just looks. He I couldn't take him seriously. I think that's what it was. So I laughed for the most part. <laughs> Makes sense to me. I'm sure now if I watched it, I'd be horrified. But I really thought it was. Yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs> uh. Of course, with something as emotive as possible devil worship, musicians have been open to conspiracy theories. Mm. One persistent claim is that bands have put hidden satanic messages in their music, but you can only hear it when it's played backwards. So (laughs) my question is, who the fuck plays it backwards? Yeah. Well, okay. Well, their theory is that our brains will pick it up forward and backward, whether we play it backwards or not. That is. So I guess someone just stumbled upon it out of curiosity, or maybe their record they bumped into the record player and they were like, "Oh, that's saying some weird." weird Yeah, maybe. Yeah, like Stairway to Heaven. It says, "My sweet Satan" or whatever. Yeah, I don't know if you were the first one to find it. It's like a whole thing. It says, "I was like, excuse me." Um, <laughs> Satan's coming out. <laughs> Play that backwards. Right. Oh, ew. <laughs> Anything backwards is creepy. It really is. I wonder what that burp sounds like. <laughs> the same. And it's it sucks because some of them might be legit and then everybody blows it out of proportion and so then other musicians join in to poke fun and then you're like well which ones are the legit ones yes yes um david bowie just to add on to what you were saying Mm -hmm. he he took measures to protect himself according to loudwire.com loudwire his uh wife 
in her memoir, she said that he often took measures to pr- protect himself, thinking that witches were out to get him, and he even had a white witch perform an exorcism on him. What? I didn't know that till literally today. That is... He was very fearful of black magic. So when you read his little thing mm-hmm. that he said, I was like, oh. and that makes sense because everything with rock and uh, it's like sin. Everything is sinning, drinking, the sex, the lust, right. the mm-hmm. drugs. But you stray away from God. Anyways. <laughs> Where was I? Uh, oh, yes. Playing that backwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that claim has been aimed at Led Zeppelin, Slayer, Judas Priest, uh, the Beatles, the Eagles, who were also like the Hotel California was like a huge thing that everybody thought was about hell. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Artists like Tom Waits, Carlos Santana, Jimi Hendrix, Alex Cooper, Kiss, Blue Oyster Cult, the list goes on and on, I'm sure. But They've all said in interviews or on stage or they've had themes in their music affiliated with the devil. And like Mm -hmm. there's – I'm pretty – I don't actually know if you've heard of them or not. But like there's Mm -hmm. these new rappers. It's like the SoundCloud rappers, I guess, is Mm. the genre. But um, like Suicide Boys and Ghost Mane, (gasps) they're all – like their music has satanic shit in it. And mm-hmm. when you ask them though, they'll say like their music is early suicide boys is like the, it's a symbol for like the hardships that they've had to go through, like where they live, they've lived and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. I guess makes sense, but I'm sure I feel like they're using it as a way to get like draw people in because it's different than anything else. Yes. There's no other rappers that really there really aren't a lot of rappers that do that. Ghostman though, he used to be a metal kid, so then he turned into a rapper, but I don't really know what his story yeah, is. Yeah, I don't really know what that is, but <laughs> I just thought I would mention them because they do have that in there. And they're not rock and roll or anything like that. So that's mm-hmm. different. With that all said, one thing is for sure, mentioning the devil ensures notoriety, as well as a natural curiosity about the occult or a desire to shock or find creative inspirations. Musicians, like writers and artists and filmmakers, know there can be financial rewards if they produce material about the devil. Whatever direction music goes in the 21st century, The subject of evil and the devil will remain one of interest to songwriters, no matter how controversial and unsettling it may be. Mm. And there you have it. Listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. (laughs) I know. The subliminal messaging. (laughs) Have you heard of Witch House? It's a movie, right? No, it's a genre of music. Oh, uh, maybe. Sounds you would maybe like it. Witch House bands like Salem, Ooh, and Clams okay. um, Casino, kind of. Uh, there's other ones. They usually have weird symbols in their names, yeah. so it's hard to name them. But it was like a small little genre of like 10 years ago or something like that. It sounds but, uh, familiar. And then Suicide Boys they their music is kind of like um well i mean it's not like you said they actually sing about dark stuff mm. but uh, or rap about it but then there's like sesh 
like Bones and Xavier Wolf and Young Lean, uh, Sad Boys type music. Ew, people are going to be like, ew, what is she talking about? Um, <laughs> but there's, they have like weird uh, music playing, like yeah. Spooky Black. I don't know, but you could check them out. Yeah, um, though, this was fun. <laughs> SoundCloud, YouTube. I was joking, but. <laughs> oh, pff- <laughs> I haven't used SoundCloud in such a long time. Well, I'm just, or I assumed that they were part of that genre. It's true. But I don't know if Suicide Boys was SoundCloud or not, but I do know like Ghostman and like Lil Peep and shit. Lil Peep didn't Mm -hmm. do, he was just a sad motherfucker. Damn, I know. I kind of, I kind of liked his music and I feel like he could have grown a lot, but that sucks. It definitely has grown on me. The appeal of living the lifestyle that you're expected to. I guess like bringing it back to Hotel California, it could not really be about hell, but it is about the appeal of maybe Hollywood or Mm -hmm. the business, the industry. And it's like, now you can't get out because you signed however many contracts, you made so many connections with Mm -hmm. different people. You know, you owe them favors, yada yada. It's kind of, it's kind of is like hell, to be honest. Like, yeah. The idea of California during that time, maybe even worse now. I don't know. I'm yeah. sure it is. I feel there's like that song. Now, huh? I feel like there's way more contracts now, surely, because of social media and all these ads. Oh yeah, for sure. Than back in the day. I feel like that song though was meant for anybody that is going through their own kind of hell to mm-hmm. be able to relate to it. Like, cause I've heard plenty of people say that it's about drugs and it's about whatever the fuck they're going through or whatever. Like it fits into anybody's place when they feel trapped. Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I like, but then it could actually mean hell, but it's so subtle in that way, whereas there are other songs that straight up are talking about yeah, hell. It's like that's what that's what brings it creepy vibes, yeah. I think. Is like when songs are so subtle that you they could possibly not be about it, but then they are. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's the mystery behind it. But either way, I, I definitely enjoyed doing this. This was a new a new take on what we do. Yeah. And I liked the direction that we took it in. You mentioned a lot of rock uh, bands, mm-hmm. so I was happy that you did. I know we did. I didn't mention Jimi Hendrix or Jim Morrison, and oh, I think yeah. those two also died young, right? Yeah, twenty-seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about um, Jim Morrison, but I do know Jimi Hendrix yeah. did. They said he he also signed the Devil's Book. We should talk about that another time. There's a whole lot with the Illuminati that we could bring up. Oh, which is, yeah. Know, I was going to touch. Now, yeah. back, back in the day, it scared the shit out of me. I was going to touch on it, but I was like going down like a fucking rabbit hole, dude. Because I was like, on top of looking up shit for this, I was also like finding new bands that I hadn't heard before or yeah. or like old bands that I hadn't heard in a long time. So I was like super distracted and like. I just kept going deeper and deeper and I was like, what? Like I eventually looking for bands that had potentially had this rumor said about them. Like Mm -hmm. there was like plenty that I didn't say because there was, they like Mm -hmm. denied it so much, but 
Mm-hmm. There's also a shit ton of bands now that mm-hmm. do openly embrace it and they say it. So. Which I don't know. I don't know about that. Like I was about to bring up um, Bob Dylan's infamous interview where he straight up says that he, well, he didn't use the words the devil or Satan or anything like that, but he brought up that he made a deal with the commander in chief, quote unquote, and it fed into a lot of people's beliefs about these kinds of bargains that musicians make. Mm -hmm. But it's like, if they admit it, are they fucking, are they pranking us? Are, Are we getting punked? Because I feel like they wouldn't. I don't know. Either way, it's cool to think about. Even though it's scary, it's like, ooh. Yeah. I, I don't know if I like it as much when they admit to it. I'd rather it be a mysterious rumor with some evidence right. that backs it up. Right. Like, okay, That's what okay. I wanted. That's why I didn't mention any of the bands that, like, the ones that I wanted to, mm-hmm. like Twin Temple and all those other ones. Because... I wanted it to they be fully- like a subtle thing. Like I wanted it to be uh, unlikely, mm-hmm. an unlikely person that would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I liked the Mars Volta thing. I didn't know anything about that. So I really enjoyed hearing about that. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of, well, I mean, if there are like diehard fans are like, duh, but yeah. who cares? Cause it was fun for me to hear. Yeah. So that one, it wasn't necessarily like they sold their soul or anything, but like I, the only way I feel like that tied in with, Mm-hmm. The whole de- the devil sells is they were trying to promote their album and what better mm-hmm. way to do it than make it like oh it's a cursed album you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even if it is a uh, fake or whatever, it's a cool yeah. That was a really it. good story. Instead of being like yeah, we <laughs> sold our souls to the devil and now we're blah blah yeah. blah. Yeah, they they did a good one. If that happened, demons wrote our album. Yep. All right. Well. That was good. Thank you. You did good as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Go see if you can find any of uh, examples of the Devil's Interval and the Dies Irae in things that you oh, watch. Because yeah. you'll, be, you'll start catching it everywhere once you look into that. You'll be like, wow, they really are playing up on my feelings mm-hmm. like that. I do this every time. I forgot. Like the last three episodes, I've forgotten to say my oh, sources. Oh, sources. Bing, bing. Um, yeah, I definitely need to do this one because I've used a lot of this art- this dude's article. So my sources are marquimag.com and wiki and youdiscovermusic.com. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, make sure you follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, give our posts some likes, give us some comments, some feedback, And make sure you rate and review us on Apple Podcast and give us a listen on all of the streaming platforms. We enjoyed giving you all this episode today and we hope that you enjoyed it as well. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.